Maybe you've heard the parable of the babies in the river. You're picnicking by the river one day, and one of your friends jumps up, startled. There's a baby floating in the river. You all rush in and rescue the baby, who fortunately is alive and yelling. And as you stand knee-deep in the water, you see there are other babies. So you rescue them. And as you bring the babies to the bank one by one, you keep seeing other babies coming your way. You're all rushing back and forth, grabbing babies and putting them safely on the bank as fast as you can, as fast as they come along. When finally you say, okay, everyone, carry on. I have to go. Where are you going? Your friends ask. And you say, I'm going to go upstream and stop whoever is throwing these babies into the river. <coughs> this parable applies in just about any situation where we are trying to change this world to make it a little better. There are things we can do that are like pulling the babies out of the river, and there are things we can do that are like stopping people from throwing them in. So before I say one sentence more, I want to state in the strongest way I know how, both of these are essential. If we are to make a better world, people must be doing both. If no one addresses the problem at its source upstream, then the people downriver might well have too many babies coming along to be able to rescue them all. And also, the babies who are already in the river do need to be rescued. Neither is better than the other. Can we say that together? Neither is better than the other. Another way to describe these two approaches to social problems is that one is charity and one is justice. Again, we need them both. Or in the words of Henry David Thoreau, one is hacking at the branches and one is striking at the root. And he notes in his book Walden, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to one who is striking at the root. Maybe that's the right ratio. It depends on the form of evil, I suppose. Well, let's look at one of the evils besetting our community that of homelessness. We are a society that does not house all of its people. There are just so many of us living on the streets, living in cars and RVs, couch surfing until we wear out our welcome, living too many people to a room to be comfortable, staying in hotel rooms, traveling all night up and down El Camino so that we have a, in, a, in a bus so that we have a warm place to get to some sleep, or living in shelters and other transitional situations. And the Unitarian Universalist Church of Palo Alto has done so much to alleviate this problem for decades. As I list the many, many actions of which we can be proud, maybe you can tag them in your mind. Pulling the babies out of the river or keeping them from being thrown in. Hacking at the branches or striking at the root. Or since we're talking about housing, maybe a building metaphor is appropriate. Is a given action more like putting up a roof or building the foundation? 
Maybe some are somewhere in between or kind of a mix. We helped build the first subsidized senior housing in the area by donating 2.2 acres of our property for the building of Stevenson House just across Adobe Creek early in our history. We helped build the Opportunity Center of the Mid-Peninsula, which provides many services to people who are homeless or are at risk of homelessness. Temporary apartments, up to three months of rent assistance, restrooms, lockers, and showers, clothing, case management and counseling, classes, a computer room, and more. We were one of the founding congregations of Hotel de Zinc, the rotating homeless shelter, and have hosted it for over 20 Septembers, providing shelter and supper. <coughs> In recent years, we have also hosted Heart and Home for homeless women for several weeks in early spring. Each year, we give our entire Christmas Eve offering to Life Moves, which does so much to move people into stable housing. And Hotel de Zinc has been one of our monthly justice partners for many years. Each December, we collect brand new socks, underwear, mittens, hats, and other necessities for the Opportunity Center in our Undie Sunday Drive. It's not an exaggeration to see that, say that seeing a flyer for Undie, Undie Sunday in the church's application packet when I was looking for a congregation to serve had a big impact on me. Now, all we are waiting for is the completion of the city's permitting process before we can become a safe parking site. I'm sure I have left some things out. UUCPA has made a life-changing, life-saving difference in this community. Now, whether deliberately or accidentally, what we have used all along the way in determining our next actions has been something that in various fields is called the action reflection spiral. Sounds like I get to do a little bit of drawing here. So in the action reflection cycle, you take an action, you say, here's something we need to do, and you act. There you go, that's at your center. And then, having done that, well, you observe what are the effects of your action, and you consult with the people you're acting with. I'll just say that, observe and consult. And as you move on, you reflect on that, the things you're learning there. Hmm, what are people telling us, and what are we noticing about the effects and the effectiveness of our action. And you start to plan, what do we want to do next? What are we seeing needs to be done um, that we've learned about from our action and its results? We plan. And having planned our next action, there we come again to another one. And we act. Always learning that. So it might go like this. Action. A congregation supports the Opportunity Center with a big fundraising push. Okay. And in conversation, consultation with the Opportunity Center, some of the active folks observe that while the Opportunity Center provides a lot of outer clothing through donated items, one unmet need is the kind of item that 
One needs new, like underwear and, and socks. And so they reflect, together maybe with the whole congregation, they reflect on how to meet that need. And they plan for an Unday Sunday, Undy Sunday. And that is their next action and so on, expanding and deepening the work. Of course, they do the same with Undy Sunday. They say, well, what are we learning from this? What are people telling us? Should we change it? Should we expand it? What other needs are we discovering through our engagement with uh, a population of people who are in and out of stable housing? Let's see. OK. Now, this isn't actually the sequence of events at UUCPA. We were doing Undie Sunday before the Opportunity Center was actually built. But here's something akin to what we have done recently. Through observation and consultation, we learn that the 2019 point-in-time count of homeless people in Palo Alto, that's when you just, for one day, for 24 hours, people count as best they can who is homeless right now a snapshot. In 2019, that indicated that while homelessness on the whole rose by only, only 13% over the previous count, the number of people living in RVs, cars, and other vehicles rose by 200%. So let's go back to our whiteboard. Now how do I erase this when I've got all these things staring at me? Here we go. Having observed the necessity for vehicle dwelling as a problem, and having observed also that there's tremendous pushback against people sleeping in vehicles parked on the streets, we reflected, so you can start any place on the process here, we reflected along with others in community on how to meet the needs of people who are living in their vehicles. We made a plan. And here I would like to specifically note that Chris Can worked with members of the wider community to make a plan and carried it out here at UUCPA by talking to various stakeholders. And then he brought his plan to the board of UUCPA, which voted enthusiastically to make our parking lot a safe parking place for several vehicles each night. We had a plan, and so that brings us to a new action that we are taking. And so it goes, spiraling around after whatever we observe and the consultation with the people who are living here on our parking lot and the people who are working with them. We'll learn from what we've done, we'll learn from the people we've met, and we will expand on what we're doing. The work itself offers great opportunities for this process. For example, we take turns cooking dinner for Hotel de Zinc guests. Last year, of course, we had to just drop food off. This September, we hope to, that we can actually stay and chat. This is a great opportunity to consult. We can ask them, what else do you think needs to be done to counter homelessness? What would help? The spiral also provides a way to go up river a bit or to stick with the housing metaphor, to build some foundations for more permanent solutions so the next roof we put up could last longer than a month, maybe even last the rest of the participants' lives. We can observe, ask, listen, and consult. What do you think causes homelessness? 
what change would help you to have stable housing? We can ask the guests and the staff, and when we debrief among ourselves, we can share what we've learned. What would help reduce the need for these services because people were in stable housing? This would be a great bomb to our hearts because one thing we know from seeing homeless people come and go in our, in our main hall and on our campus each fall and each spring is that there are far more people needing the services than there are services that can be provided. So the answers that we come up with from this consultation and observation can lead to our next action, which maybe can help prevent homelessness as well as alleviating the effects for the people who are currently homeless. I asked people from two of our partner efforts, what do they think would help address the root causes of homelessness? They've worked on the issue for years. They can never meet all the needs. And they have no doubt thought many times a week, if only X were fixed, there wouldn't be so many people in need of our services. So I asked them, what's X? When I reached out to Life Moves, Christine Salinas got right back to me. She's in their development department, and yes, she has given a lot of thought to what would help build a stronger foundation so that we had a community where fewer people were thrown into homelessness. Life Moves focuses a lot of its attention on people who in many cases have not held down a job for a long time and gives them the personal tools and skill sets to look for jobs and hold down a job with the ultimate goal being that they will be able to stay in a stable home. And it develops partnerships with government agencies, for example, putting in 100 modular units in Mountain View using state home key funds, which if Mountain View does not choose to expand the program or continue the program after 10 years, can be literally moved elsewhere to continue housing folks. So when asked what some of the root causes are, Christine identified a couple things. One, trauma. She said that aside from the trauma of losing housing, everyone she can think of who has come to Life Moves has experienced some kind of trauma in their past, some relatively mild, some severe and going all the way back to childhood. This is not something that a 90-day program can repair, of course. And it's really hard to acquire skills and hold down a job and avoid substance abuse and be in stable relationships and hold on to housing if one is deep in the effects of severe trauma. To address trauma with an upstream or a foundation building action, one could work for universal mental health care or making sure the providers of public services from medical staff to teachers to social workers or knowledge, are knowledgeable about the effects of trauma and give trauma-informed care. So the next action in the spiral, if you are paying particular attention to trauma, might be state or federal level action on healthcare or advocacy at the state and local level for more funding and different training for these professionals, or meeting with local officials about using trauma-informed care. Christine also identified systemic racism as one of the root causes. 
She described a life course that she sees often in their clients at Life Moves and in kids that she worked with in the Mountain View Public Schools. Every step of the way, it's something that could happen to people of any race or ethnicity and does, but that hits people of color much harder. Living, much more often, I should say. <clears throat> Living in poverty, going to an underfunded school, not getting adequate early help if you're one of the 20% of kids who have learning challenges, having parents who are less likely to have invisible backpacks filled with tools like the knowledge of how to apply to college, what mentors to seek out, how to work one's way up in employment. Again, plenty of white people have all of these challenges as well, but through centuries of deliberate social policy, they have accumulated disproportionately in the lives of people of color. To address systemic racism a little farther upstream, one could learn and teach about systemic racism to short circuit the victim blaming that often happens when people observe these disparities. One could work to remedy our school funding system, which has sucked funding from California schools for decades. Rich people compensate while poor people have only what is provided by taxes, less and less. If you're looking for something less legislative and more person to person, if that's the kind of activism and involvement that feeds you, Christine suggests being a mentor. And I would add, before one starts mentoring young adults, getting training in trauma and the effects of systemic racism before entering into that relationship. The second person I spoke to, Angie Evans, whom I met because of our shared wish to implement a safe parking program, uh, has worked in the field of housing and homelessness since college. She identifies job loss and the skyrocketing cost of housing as two sources of the problem, noting that in Palo Alto, for a household with earnings of $75,000 a year or less, the chances are four out of five that the household is rent burdened paying such a high proportion of your income for housing that it's unsustainable. If you're like me and thought, yeah, well, $75,000 in Palo Alto, that won't go far, right, it won't. And now look at what jobs actually pay around here. In other words, people are homeless because there is no housing they can afford. Like Christine, Angie has lots of ideas for shorter-term solutions, too, but what about the long-term solutions? Well, affordable housing, which will require partnerships in which developers of market-rate housing, say, donate or pay for land so that those who know how to administer full-service, deeply affordable, not just slightly under market rate, but really deeply affordable housing, um, can build and administer that, that program. A local action that will help address this, by the way, is the proposal for teacher housing near California Avenue. So you might look into that if this is an approach that you want to, to get into. Another uh, long-term solution is uh, rent stabilization, which Angie isn't very hopeful about politically, although she worked hard. She was the author of, um, the, uh, of B in Mountain View. Um, that's a different matter than statewide, unfortunately. But she also talked about two of its partners, which she does feel very hopeful about. 
compelling cities to actually use their rent registries. I did not even know about this simple technology. Rent, registry, rent registries have landlords have to say whom they're renting for, to, what's the square footage, what's the rent this year, and just fill it out each year if anything has changed. Actually using the rent registry instead of just sticking it in a drawer could keep landlords from making exorbitant increases or from conducting evictions under false claims, such as saying that family is moving into the unit when in fact it's going to a new renter at a higher rent. And another thing that she feels hopeful about is expanding tenant relocation assistance, which under current law has to be provided by landlords who own 50 or more units. But that leaves a lot of tenants out in the cold, sometimes literally. Two local actions are coming right up. Renters' rights are under consideration at the Planning Commission in Palo Alto in May and then at the Palo Alto City Council in June. So writing in and showing up can be a next action on the spiral. And if you're like me and you don't live in Palo Alto, you have a stake here as well. Say that you attend a church in Palo Alto and this is what you want to see after years of working on homelessness as a congregation. As we spoke, Angie noted that another brick in the foundation of stable housing would be a living wage to fill the gap between local salaries and local housing costs. I learned much more from these two people than I have time to report, and they learned it from their observations and consultations with homeless and rent-burdened people. UUCPA did some foundation building just this week. Nancy Neff decided a long time ago that the way she was going to strike at the root of social problems was to clean up our campaign funding system. Too many of the changes we seek keep coming up against big money. She has been a leader in the California Clean Money Campaign and through her relationships with folks here at UUCPA helped make us an active partner of this work. On Thursday night, after her presentation, our board voted to endorse, as a congregation, the Ballot Disclose Act, which will clearly, concisely inform voters of which organizations support and oppose each ballot measure. That helps every voter make a more informed decision. As a result of that action, at a clean money meeting that Nancy helped set up, with State Assembly Member Mark Berman the day before yesterday, I was able to not only make the moral argument for the Ballot Disclose Act, but to tell him that I was speaking for this congregation in his district. When it eventually passes, and I'm optimistic that it will, if not in this legislature, then in the next, we will have put one more brick in the foundation of a more fair, compassionate, equal California spiraling around, deepening, making it so that a few babies are spared being tossed in the river. And those who are standing up to their knees downstream will actually be able to keep up with all the people who need help. We're going to keep helping people who have already fallen into homelessness, who have nowhere to live but an RV or maybe a mattress on the floor of a church. Because as long as people need a roof over their heads, however impermanent and imperfect, we want to provide it. And we can also take 
all that we have learned and help build a foundation, a foundation of justice and care and dignity. <laughs>